Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you spent a year going from county to county, courthouse to courthouse, just taking pictures of documents? Pretty much. (laughs) Anna Lee has spent much of the last year traveling around South Carolina, meticulously reviewing court records. The work is kind of mind-numbing because you're trying to go as quickly as possible. Courthouse by courthouse, she's been filling in this picture of how policing works in her home state. She's been putting day-to-day interactions with police, like traffic stops, into a big spreadsheet. And you're just hunched over your computer, just typing, typing, typing. I actually went to a really, really small county, and uh, they didn't have computers. So I actually had to go and pull every single case. And so just going and pulling these files, it just took forever and ever. And you would repeat this day after day after day after day. Just sounds like the basic information is so hard to get. It is. It was extremely hard. In fact, I was I did not know how hard it was when I first started this story. Anna's been trying to understand something called civil asset forfeiture, which is a fancy way of saying that when police suspect you of a crime, they've got a right to take your stuff, even if you never get arrested. They have to have some probable cause to search a person in their car and keep and seize the cash. They're not supposed to just find a, a blunt of marijuana and like $5,000 and seize it saying, you know, I found drugs. But but it is legal because, you know, like I said, they, they have to have this probable cause. It feels like they're digging coins out of a couch cushion. Like they're just <laughs> using the drugs to sort of get in there and just take the money. Right. Uh, when uh, one of our reporters went to a highway interdiction um, operation, he said that he saw officers kind of opening up wallets and like you know, shaking the wallets out, <laughs> trying to see if there's any money inside. Well, of people that they've pulled over? Yes, yes, yes. It just, it doesn't seem like it should be legal. Right. Oh, we've gotten that a lot from people. Why is this legal? This is highway robbery. It turns out that police officers in South Carolina have been raising millions of dollars from people they accuse but never convict of crimes. Most of these people are black. I think in the back of my mind, I thought, well, there are a lot of a lot of black subjects in these court records. Um, but it wasn't until you know we were able to crunch the data that we saw that 70% of them were black and 65% of them were black males. That must have been shocking. Because the state isn't 70% black males. Oh, no. The, the state is 13% black male. So there's a huge disparity. What police are up to in South Carolina isn't new, and it isn't rare. But each small story Anna found seemed to repeat again and again, revealing this pattern you just can't ignore. 
The question now, can this mess be fixed? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. How much money was the state raising off of civil asset forfeiture? Police across the state seized um, $17.6 million over a three-year period, 2014 to 2016, which is our kind of study period. What does that mean for the state to have this money, this $17 million? Like, put that in some context for me. In South Carolina, when when a law enforcement agency makes seizures, they get to keep 95% of the proceeds. So the seizing agency, the police department, would get 75%. Prosecuting agency would get 20%. And then 5% would go to the state's general fund. And so this money that goes back to law enforcement, they can use it to do more narcotics enforcement, which a whole bunch of different things you could use it for, especially for a smaller agency, because you could argue that, you know, all of the police officers on that force are trying to do drug enforcement. In the three years she reported this story, Anna found police departments that got as little as 1% of their budget from civil forfeiture or as much as 20%. That is a lot of, a lot of money. And that it was an average over three years, that it wasn't just one year. That was important for us to kind of look at. Is there any department that tries to not do this? I think there are some. Now, we only looked at state uh, forfeiture cases, and we think that those agencies that did not have any state forfeiture cases, that they were participating in the federal forfeiture program. You know, it's where the federal agencies like the DEA or Homeland Security can uh, adopt a case from a local agency, and then they would split the proceeds. One of the most shocking things that you guys discovered was you were able to get all this dash cam video from when police pull people over and seize their money. And it's almost like the police are following a script. All right, well, we're going... Once I get you to jail, I'm going to have to start up the, the paperwork on the asset forfeiture for you to, to seize the money, okay? Because it's my, my thought that the money is from drugs. Can you describe that a little bit? I guess a lot of them do sound like they follow a script because there are certain things they have to cross off in order to be able to seize the person's property. They kind of have like a checklist, so to speak. And the way they kind of start out a lot of times is that a motorist will get pulled over for kind of a minor traffic violation, like following too closely. That's a pretty popular one. And a lot of times they would be driving rental cars. They would be from out of state. We know the police would come out and talk to you and then they would say, you know, um, I observed the odor of fresh marijuana and um, the driver was acting nervous. Um, I could see his heart palpating and his pupils dilating. One person says, I can see you sweating, but it's cold outside. Nervousness played a lot into it, actually. If a person seemed nervous, if they were evasive in their answers or their answers didn't make sense to the police officer, those were signs that, you know, this person could be connected to the drug trade. And then they would ask, do you have any money in the car? They would ask if you had any money in the car. They would ask you if you had any drugs in the car. They would ask you if you had any weapons in the car. 
And, you know, a lot of times the driver would admit to, yes, I do have some marijuana. And then that would give them the, um, I guess, probable cause needed to search the car. And then so many of the dash cam videos that we watched was just hours of them searching the car, searching the person, going through every little tiny nook and cranny in the car. The one video that really stood out to me was the guy who had just won the lottery. And he had money in the car because he'd won the lottery. And he had the receipts from winning the lottery. And they still took his money. Yes. I think um, we talked to attorneys who said a lot of the police, you know, they just kind of seize first and ask questions later and let let the court process work itself out. You know, prosecutors feel, law enforcement feel that if people were innocent and their property was innocent, then they would go through this process and they would get their money back. No, no problem. But the issue is, in South Carolina, we found these cases were taking over a year to resolve. Actually, I think the average time was 17 months. And it would take over a year just from the date the seizure happened to when a court case was actually filed. So these are people who have to wait over a year just to be notified of their court case. And then once that happens, you know, they have to file an answer within 30 days. Most of them have to hire an attorney because the civil court is kind of complicated and it is kind of difficult to navigate on your own. And just to be clear here, these are people who are suspected of some kind of drug activity, but they're not necessarily arrested. They're not necessarily guilty. Right. And some of them might not have even been charged with a crime. Forfeiture operates on on the assumption that the property is guilty, not the person. And so the same kind of liberties that are given to people in a criminal court system is not given to the property. Did you ever get a good answer to why civil asset forfeiture is particularly bad in South Carolina? Yes and no. I think, you know, there are a lot of states where um, that have kind of similar issues. And, you know, it's it's bad because there's there's a very low bar to forfeit. You know, all all prosecutors have to prove is the preponderance. This money is more likely than not connected to drugs or gambling. And that's it. And then a lot of people would have to, if they, you know, protested, they had to basically prove that the money was innocent. So they have to come with paycheck stubs, you know, tax forms, um, bank records, and it gets complicated when you start talking about like property, like TVs, because nobody really keeps the receipt for their TV that they bought. How how have the police defended this practice to you? Well, they defend it by saying that you know without this this money, you know they wouldn't be able to run the kind of drug fighting um, operations that they do right now, especially for smaller departments. You know, so it's a budget issue. Yeah, it's a budget issue. We saw a few examples where the city government or the town government kind of, you know, treated this money as, you know, a yearly, we can expect this much amount of money this year. So they kind of budgeted for it almost. Just like a bonus. Well, the thing is, you cannot use it to uh, supplement salaries or any kind of expense that occurs on a reoccurring yearly basis. So you might be able to buy the helicopter, for instance, but you won't be able to use the money to fuel your helicopter. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like um, when money's a little bit tight, 
this is like a nice little extra pocket of revenue. Right, right. So, I mean, I'm sort of curious, you as a reporter, we've seen reporting about civil asset forfeiture in the past. Every once in a while, uh, a big story comes out, a story like yours. Are you hopeful things will really change in South Carolina? Yes, I am. After two years of this and and kind of talking to so many people whose lives were just drastically changed because of um, a forfeiture, I mean, you don't want this to happen to other people. We talked to a a body shop owner who said stress of this gave him a heart attack. I think one guy we talked to in North Carolina he didn't want to go on a record or even talk to us at all. But all he would say is that, you know, after what happened to me, whenever I have to go through South Carolina to go to Georgia or further south, I won't drive. I'll 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 take a flight instead instead of having to drive through. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was struck by the person you talked to who said, "I call them pirates." We talked about the police. It's just like it's not the way you want people to feel about the police. No, no, um, you don't want them to feel that way um, at all. <laughs> Anna, thanks a lot for telling me a little bit more about your story. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate being a part of this. Anna Lee is a reporter for the Greenville News in South Carolina. Her team's series on civil asset forfeiture is called Taken. There are a few more installments of the story yet to publish. You can find them on greenvilleonline.com. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I had one last question after talking to Anna about her story, about whether any of the legislation in the works in South Carolina would make any difference. So after she and I got off the phone, I called up one more person. Well, it sounds like you you are kind of the in-house expert in forfeiture mm-hmm. at the DOJ for a little while. Is that fair? Yeah, I was I was the top expert, yes. This is David Smith. He was working at the Department of Justice when civil asset forfeiture began to take off in the mid-1980s. David used it mostly to take assets from drug kingpins. Well, it wasn't just money. Um, it was boats. It was airplanes. It was cars, uh, homes, you know, real estate. It was connected with drug trafficking. I mean, you know, the, the, these are the days when airplanes full of drugs were landing in Florida. It really does sound like you like started something and then we're like, whoa, like you, it's, this is like the law of unintended consequences on steroids. It, did, it is indeed the law of unintended consequences, as so much legislation is. <laughs> but now David spends his time fighting civil asset forfeiture as a defense attorney. He says even if South Carolina is looking to make major reforms to their policy, good luck. It's just not politically viable to change that at this point. And that's too bad because it could easily have been reformed long ago before it turned into this cash cow for the police and sheriffs. He says whenever the states try to crack down on forfeiture, 
the police raise a rumpus about it, and they they either vow to stop doing forfeiture altogether, or they say they find a way around it. And the way around the state law is to turn these forfeiture cases over to the Justice Department, the U.S. Justice Department, and federalize them, and and then the 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 federal government forfeits the property and turn gives back 80% of the money to the police department that handed them the case. This sounds like a racket, right? It's like taking control of the state police departments against the will of the state legislature, which is t- total lunacy. What seems pretty clear to me is that there's a rotten idea at the core of this law. It gives law enforcement a conflict of interest, lets them profit off of bad police work. And the way the law is written... It makes what looks like abuse legal. No one can check the abuse if that's true. David thinks about it differently. I I still think civil forfeiture can be used in a very effective way in certain types of cases, um, like, for example, drug kingpin cases. Um, But the problem is it's it's very hard to control the the abuses. I mean, it seems impossible. It seems impossible because... The incentive is always going to be there to take stuff and, like, pad your budget with it, right? Well, well, absolutely. But this is not to say that st- state legislation doesn't matter. They can, they can certainly change their own state law to make it more difficult to forfeit property under the state law and also to um, give the police an incentive not to bring these bad cases. David doesn't blame the law. He blames the people implementing it. He blames prosecutors for bringing too many cases. He blames judges for letting them get away with it. And he blames the press for not calling them out on it. We just don't have really good prosecutors at either the state or federal level. There's a lot of abuse. A lot of folks who shouldn't be prosecutors are prosecutors. And I'd say the same thing about judges. You know, too many judges are just rubber stamps for the prosecutors. um, And they're not doing their job and unfortunately, the press doesn't do its job about criticizing judges because they're sacred cows. That's a big part of the problem. What this expert just said is that this law can't be used properly by anyone in power. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and the people who make the show sound so great are Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you're enjoying What Next, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's how other people find us, and we just like it when you come through. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mary's Desk, where I post updates to the show and sometimes make terrible jokes. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.